All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, all of you good citizens of Crip Nation, time to wake up. It is that time of the day. Uh, it is Crypto 101 Podcast. We are here. We're in the studio. I'm with my trusted compadre and my BFF, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. Aaron, what's cooking in your side of the kitchen, man? You know, I've really been trying to look for some new tools to try and find the next best thing and as i've mentioned on several episodes before i'm really tired of my phone and my computer spying on me and sending me ads for things that i literally only thought about and never even said out loud to my cat clyde they're in our it's, brains they're in our brains i i need some kind of reprieve um so i'm looking for something else out there that is less intrusive more respective to privacy and you know just this can't go on forever. It's got to hit, you know, maximum thrust at some point and come crashing back to earth, right? Well, Pete, I got great news for you, brother. It's not over and there is hope. And we have solutions that the blockchain and the crypto industry have put together to preserve your privacy, to preserve your sovereignty as an individual, uh, and to give you the tools to make, you know, better, more informed decisions and more options. And this is increasingly, increasingly relevant day after day because there is currently a big lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit. And antitrust, for those of you guys who don't know, basically means anti-monopoly. So when a company has too much control over an industry, the regulators step in and say, hey, we're going to call a monopoly on you guys and we're going to have to go through and try and break this whole thing up in order to get fair, more competitive pricing and a free market and all that kind of stuff. So anyhow, so Google 
is on the chopping block of the regulators right now because of some very interesting monopolistic implications. And we got an expert who's building a competitor to Google as we speak. And we're going to dive into that. So Colin Pape from Presearch, founder of Presearch, uh, welcome to Crypto 101 Podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Bryce and Aaron. Great to be here. Yeah, man, we're excited. Uh, before, So typically we dive into the background of, uh, of our guests immediately, but this is so timely because it's in the news right now. We're going to dive straight into the Google Monopoly lawsuit. What's going on uh, high level? Uh, for those of guys who, who, you know, like us, we're not lawyers. We don't really know what's going on. So so break down a little bit about that. And uh, then we'll dive into after that, uh, kind of your background. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing timing because within the past couple of hours, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice has, uh, has filed this lawsuit that you've uh, mentioned. This is something that's been in the works for, for a long time. Uh, we originally participated in an FTC investigation back in uh, 2011, 2012 through uh, our other company, ShopCity.com. And so this is kind of the the latest iteration at the time, uh, back, you know, eight years ago, uh, Google really had a massive uh, monopoly on search, but uh, it was really the first time that they had been called out on it. And so they had some defenses. And then since then, uh, a number of other governments, uh, particularly uh, the, the EU, uh, has you know sanctioned Google with you know significant multi-billion dollar fines. Uh, basically, the the contention is that uh, you know with more than ninety percent market share, uh, the number one web browser with Google Chrome, the number one opera- mobile operating system with Android, number one video platform with YouTube, uh, number one mapping platform with uh, uh, Google Maps, and number one email platform with uh, Gmail, uh, this company just has, you know, a stranglehold basically on the internet. They control how we find information and uh, access it. And they've basically been using all these different relationships and and different uh, platforms to reinforce their dominance of the marketplace. And in the process, they have been harming uh, you know, consumers, uh, as well as, uh, obviously, you know, businesses and, and competitors. Uh, but, uh, this is really kind of the, the second go around and, uh, they've got, uh, I would say, you know, more evidence, they've got more, uh, resolve, uh, and, uh, because they did nothing essentially, you know, it, w- it was basically nothing, a minor slap on the wrist, uh, eight, uh, or so years ago. Uh, and they're back at it again, they basically have to do something. And and it's really, you know, in this super polarized political environment, this is one of the only uh, really kind of bipartisan uh, issues where, where, you know, both sides are are coming and saying, this needs to happen. There's too much uh, power and control in the hands of uh, one entity. And uh, so, you know, they filed this lawsuit. They're going to uh, be looking for uh, more information on, uh, you know, some of the practices that they employ to ensure market dominance, uh, both on the consumer usage side as well as on the advertising platform side. And uh, so it's, it's kind of an interesting time to be 
you know, starting a, a competitor to Google where you've kind of got these uh, tailwinds and these uh, interesting media opportunities to speak about uh, an alternative that is, uh, you know, more about user choice, more about user privacy, which are really, you know, two of the, the big things that uh, are, are kind of going against Google uh, in this case. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time. And uh, over the next six months, we're going to uh, see how that plays out. We are not involved uh, in the uh, legal action this time, uh, but we're very familiar with the players. And uh, uh, this is kind of a, a bit of a different, you know, opportunity with the business that we're in now compared to the one that we were in uh, last time where we were basically, you know, being directly harmed by Google and, uh, our company shopcity.com had, had experienced this penalty that had basically put all of our search results on, you know, page five, page eight of Google and, uh, basically buried us and, uh, and, you know, kind of gave us this interesting, uh, control group type uh, scenario that was very interesting to uh, the regulators. And, and I should just say, you know, I'm not really a fan of, uh, you know, additional, you know, government legal action and, you know, certainly uh, preferring uh, the free market, which is, is you know, what we're doing. We're trying to provide a free market alternative uh, to the, the, you know, regulatory action. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people who are, uh, Minarchists, uh, which would be you know uh, people who believe in as little government regulation as possible. Even even some of those people believe that one of the legitimate functions of government should be to uh, you know ensure that uh, monopolistic uh, entities do not end up you know completely dominating a market uh, and and you know holding everybody uh, hostage. So uh, it is kind of this you know interesting uh, scenario that Google's in. Well, I'll tell you this much, no matter what the regulator decides, I am not going back to Internet Explorer and Bing. You can forget it. So, Colin, can you give us a better alternative once Google's finally shattered into however many pieces? What else is out there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so basically, the, the way pre-search uh, works, uh, and, and so uh, just to be clear, we're, we're focusing on search uh, right now. Uh, you know, we, we think that that is really the, the most centralized and influential uh, tentacle that, that Google has. Uh, you know, the other ones are all uh, certainly important as well, but search is, is kind of this gateway to uh, information on the internet. It's something uh, as well, you know, with the way that Google was founded as uh, basically an educational uh, project, you know, from their time at Stanford University uh, and uh, with their positioning, with you know, kind of the the silly childish name and the you know multicolored logo, they 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 really kind of put people's uh, guard down, and they they you know achieved adoption in the early days uh, by really uh, having this this strong brand of being you know uh, impartial and uh, being you know more kind of educational in nature. And, uh, you know, in the 20 years since then, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's not been the case, uh, proven time and time again. Uh, they're one of the most competitive businesses uh, that's ever existed. And uh, they will do anything that they can to, to dominate the markets that they're in. Uh, 
but you know, there's kind of still this this you know uh, perception that a lot of people have that Google is is neutral, uh, that Google is just you know building Quote, unquote, great products. Don't be evil, right? That's their uh, their tagline. That that that's right. Which they actually uh, they changed and they they it, that went away a number of years ago because they realized that they couldn't even say that in in good conscience anymore. So it, it was one of those things I, I saw. Um... I, I forget who it was, but somebody tweeted out of like, can you believe that a company, you know, their tagline is don't be evil. It just goes to show how much power that they really do have that they could be evil. Why wouldn't a better slogan for like, you know, like pre-search, for instance, can't be evil, like physically can't be yeah. evil because you have better aligned incentives. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally, man. Um, but it always feels so funny, just like, I mean, this is not even a question. I'll let you continue your thought, but it's just more of a, it's just a comment. But like the end game of capitalism tends to be these monopolies, right? You're always incentivized to be the best, to be the most competitive from when you're a very young kid, right? You want to be the best on your team. You want to get the best grades. You go, you start your business. You want to dominate the competition and all that stuff. And then you get there and you're like, oh my God, did we go too far? Did we fly too close to the sun? Did and then you have to get reined back in, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's a different uh, approach than we're taking. And I think then, than what drives us, uh, you know, uh, for me personally, uh, it's, you know, it's just not in my DNA. Honestly, I've, I've always been, you know, uh, someone to root for the underdog. And uh, I mean, we're from, Right, right now, our office that we're sitting in is in, you know, it's a little town in Canada, population 17,500. I've spent enough time on Silicon Valley. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's got some, you know, interesting aspects to it. But, uh, you know, we identify a lot more with, you know, middle uh, America, middle Canada, uh, you know, more kind of average uh, people. And, uh, I, I think, you know, we're really more about community essentially and, uh, trying to, uh, you know, bring people together and help others realize their potential rather than just, you know, kind of trying to mow everybody's lawn and, and dominate everybody. I mean, you hear the early conversations with, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, and some of his co-founders, it's like, you know, they, they had this attitude where they just wanted to, squash everybody and and for us it's about like recognizing there's so many other players that that are out there that have value and uh you know how can we create an ecosystem that uh enables those uh people to to participate as well and and ultimately uh you know gives the user the the person who's utilizing the service the choice so that it's it's not forced upon them and, and so to, to answer Aaron's question, like, how are we going to tackle this, uh, you know, differently? Uh, so, so basically, Presearch, we founded in 2017. Uh, it was kind of born, you know, a lot from this experience that we have with Shop City and Google, which just, you know, to us just seemed like totally, uh, you know, backwards. And, and it just didn't seem right, honestly. We were, you know, doing... Uh, things exactly like what Google had, had said they wanted. You know, we weren't focused on search engine optimization where we were trying to like game the system to get traffic that we didn't deserve. We had, you know, super high quality content, partnerships with city governments and, and uh, 
uh, all these different local uh, stakeholders to try to basically build all these marketplaces, almost like an Amazon.com for each community powered by its local businesses. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Google basically shuts us down. There's nobody that we can communicate with. We're basically just getting stonewalled everywhere we turn. And it just, you know, felt really wrong. And then in the process of going through this, we discover that there are like tens of thousands of other, you know, businesses and projects that uh, had encountered the same thing and basically uh, ended up, you know, either going under or having to do, you know, huge restructuring just to uh, try to stay afloat while Google kind of sucked the, uh, the wind out of their sails. And so, you know, when we started realizing that Ethereum uh, was, was going to be this, uh, you know, platform where we could create a token that would enable us to align the interests of uh, our, our searchers on the one side and then our sponsors or advertisers on the other side, we just realized that, that it was, you know, uh, a way that we could go to market uh, and basically incentivize people to switch from Google, which, uh, I mean, Google has... Uh, probably the strongest uh, brand allegiance and also, you know, user behavior uh, that, you know, they've trained people on over the past 20 years and plus all these other moats. And, you know, one of the biggest moats that they have is, uh, you know, being the default search engine in all these web browsers. So they're the default in Chrome, the default in Safari. They pay Apple like $10 billion a year, literally. <laughs> the, the default search engine in Safari, like it's insane, wow. right? And so how do you compete with that? Well, we thought, well, you know, if we can uh, come up with a, a, a search engine that is more focused on user privacy, more focused on user choice, because uh, it's, it's not actually just a single search engine through pre-search, you can search Google, you can search DuckDuckGo, you can search Etherscan if you're into crypto, you can search... You know, there's over 100 different resources, and we're adding new ones all the time. Uh, so it wow. was about. I didn't. Kinda, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you run a search on PreSearch, then you'll see uh, down the left hand side underneath the PreSearch logo, uh, you know, a handful of different logos, and and you can actually go in and you can choose which ones you want. So like I always search EtherScan. I'm looking up addresses and stuff. So uh, I basically have it. So it's like you know, one click search into directly to Etherscan. We're not like aggregating everybody's results and trying to, you know, be the one interface that rules them all. We're basically respecting everybody's UIs. We're just making it super easy for the searcher to direct their query to any of the different resources that they might utilize. And so, you know, that's how we kind of facilitate choice. And then, uh, you know, we wanted to reward the people who were uh, basically making the effort to, you know, use something that, you know, might not be as polished as Google uh, yet, or uh, that that might, you know, not be as integrated, because we don't have all these, uh, you know, partnerships with web browsers and whatnot. And so basically, whenever you search, uh, you earn uh, a quarter of a pre-search token. And then that token has value because it is the payment uh, mechanism for the advertising platform. And we, we ended up creating a, kind of a novel uh, way of, of controlling the advertising. It's something uh, called keyword staking. And so basically, whoever stakes the most pre-search tokens to a given term will have their ad displayed. And there's currently actually no consumptive charge for it. So you don't 
pay when you get clicks. You don't pay when you get views. As long as you have the most tokens uh, allocated to that term, then your ad shows up. And so it kind of, you know, completes both sides of the, the ecosystem and uh, does it in a way where we're not, uh, you know, doing what Google does, which is, you know, track everybody like you guys were talking about, you know, sometimes it feels like, man, did I just think that? And somehow they found out and now they're sending me ads. It's like, you know, our, our stuff is, is much more about active personalization. So, you know, you tell us how we can make it a better user experience for you. We're not going to try to infer all of these things off of your behavior and compromise your, your privacy in the process. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a totally different take, uh, but we've, we've kind of got a new version that we're getting ready to roll out before the end of the year. Uh, that uses uh, pre-search nodes. So basically anybody will be able to install a node on their computer or on uh, you know, access data center capacity. Uh, and uh, when somebody does a search through pre-search, it goes into like a gateway uh, system and then uh, it has all these nodes that are in there kind of pooled up and ready and waiting for queries. And then the query gets sent out to the node and then the node basically goes out and fetches the results from a bunch of existing search engines and then uh, brings that back in and then reconstructs the user interface. And uh, so that's kind of phase one. And then phase two is, is actually integrating like blockchain based search results so that anything where there's, you know, censorship or where uh, results are being totally skewed because of an agenda uh, that, you know, our community members can basically start contributing uh, different search results and then voting on them uh, to uh, determine where they are ranked within kind of all these other results that uh, are, are basically being aggregated from existing sources. So uh, we're, we're pretty pumped about that release and uh, everything that uh, that we've done over the past three years. It's been awesome and all really uh, centered around our community and empowering people like you guys who who care about this stuff and don't want to be tracked and don't want to participate as, you know, a, a cog in the wheel and uh, want, you know, an alternative uh, that, that ultimately is going to be, you know, open sourced and, you know, fully community driven and something that, you know, you can inspect deeply to uh, ensure that, you know, it is doing what it says it does and it's not, you know, tracking you or, or databasing your queries or any of these kinds of things. Wow. Colin, you literally just answered just about every single question I had in the outline. Uh, so you did my job for me, brother. Uh, but you, you, so you touched on the role of the pre-search token. You talked about how people could earn it, right? Just by going to presearch.org and start, you know, typing in your searches uh, through the pre-search interface instead of just going directly through Google. So guys, if you're listening, wake up, right? You guys could be earning money for every search that you guys put out. Um, you even talked about you that that model of you know advertisers can state keywords. Um, it's non-consumptive, so you got you really hit all the all the, uh, the 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 key points there about like kind of how the the system works. So uh, thank you for 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 that. And one of the questions that kind of came to mind uh, that we didn't put in the outline, but if I'm using PreSearch.org and I make a search query, I make a search query through Google. Do I compromise my privacy and my identity in doing that by going, even though I'm going through pre-search or is it kind of like a, some type of VPN that gets filtered in there? How does that all work? 
So, so basically, uh, when you use an external resource, like we're literally kicking you over to, you know, google.com, google.ca, we're not acting as uh, a proxy service. Uh, and, and so, you know, as you get out to that external resource, yes, you are still, you know, vulnerable. Uh, but basically what we're doing. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With, with this new uh, node-based uh, uh, user experience is, uh, you know, protecting you and providing you with Google quality results. So, so literally the new version is as good or better than Google. Uh, it has all the bells and whistles. It has the, the same, you know, high quality search results. Uh, but, you know, in key uh, instances where, you know, there's, there's, censorship happening or, or other, you know, weirdness happening with results, uh, the community will, will be able to override that and, uh, and help to basically, uh, shape the actual search results. So, so it will ultimately have our own index, uh, involved, but, uh, to start, uh, it's largely powered by, you know, there's, there's a handful of existing search engines and other, uh, APIs and resources that we're, we're calling on, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, there's there's kind of only so much we can do without being a full proxy service, and we basically just kind of made the decision right now that you know we don't that that's actually a huge point of centralization, and a lot of people don't really realize it. There's a lot of trust that you're putting into a VPN when you are running all your stuff through them, and sometimes uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 risky uh, actually. So uh, I mean we just didn't feel that that was the right move right now might ultimately be something. Uh, there's some, some decentralized uh, VPN and routing services that uh, are coming to market and, and those might be, you know, really interesting. 
but right now, almost all the VPN services, I mean, if you're not using like, you know, torrents and stuff, uh, they're, they're, they're fairly centralized. So, uh, yeah, basically it's still kind of be cautious. Uh, I mean, DuckDuckGo is, is an interesting uh, alternative as well, although it is basically just powered by Bing. Uh, and uh, Aaron said he, no freaking way he's going back to Internet Explorer and Bing. So that's right. Uh, if, you, if you don't like Bing, I mean, DuckDuckGo is actually just kind of a, a, a layer on Bing. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's about for us, you know, more providing uh, easy, you know, one click access to all the different resources. If you feel like you've got a super private query, you don't want anybody to know about. Do you want to send it to you know our new engine at when it's released or DuckDuckGo? If it's something you know uh, that you're less concerned about and you want you know Google UI, then you know feed it out to Google. You know, as I'm listening to all this and I'm seeing the page, and even in the name pre-search, what happens before you go to search something? Bryce, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but we used to open up our web browsers to a home page. Some of us that are, are my age and Colin's age, you know, we'd, we'd open up the web browser, we'd be taken immediately to msn.com or Yahoo or whatever it was, and that was our portal to everything else. We could just click through. We didn't have to type in, you know, all these web addresses or, you know, if there were bookmarks. We had all these things right through this portal. And it sounds like that's what pre-search is, is it's bringing back the homepage. Uh, right now, like I can't stand anything else that exists out there. I just go to a new tab and go directly to where I want because I don't want to be shown a bunch of content that I don't want. I don't want to be bombarded by the latest story about the Kardashians. I remember I was on Yahoo for forever as my homepage and you used to be able to customize your news feed so I'd only get the topics I wanted. And then they took that away so they could just destroy my mind with all this useless garbage. And I thought, oh my God, this is an assault. I can't use Yahoo anymore. I've used it for 15 years and now now it's gone. And I haven't had anything in that new tab since. But it sounds like pre-search is incorporating everything I want. I mean, if I can go straight to Etherscan, that's probably my second most used website at this point. So that's phenomenal that you guys are bringing back the homepage and I love the ad model of just being able to stake a keyword. I think we should go pick up some pre-search tokens and stake Ripple and Tron. So Crypto 101 podcast comes up. Totally, man. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, the the, the internet did used to you know feel like a, a little bit you know uh, less controlled. Um, and and interestingly, so so one of the you know actually uh, it was 2005 I think I started it, uh, and you can look it up on on archive.org. Uh, but it, it was a, a homepage builder. It was called Startster, Startster.com. Friendster was a big thing back then, and uh, so uh, you could basically go in, you could configure all your different resources, and uh, had a bunch of different search fields, and uh, you know we we would uh, provide. Uh, some different uh, content. It was all like, you know, freedom oriented stuff and, and kind of alternative stuff. Uh, I, I went back onto it actually uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh man, there's some really good stuff on here that's like super relevant, uh, you know, 15 years later. Uh, but but yeah, you know, there used to be this ability. And, and so as we were actually rolling that out, we had like a pretty decent uh, go to market strategy. It was working and then Google rolled out uh, something called iGoogle, which was their 
uh, homepage builder where you could basically go and, and configure all these different resources. And uh, it was actually one of my big business lessons in life, just, you know, getting scared by these huge competitors that have all these resources and users. And uh, I ended up shutting it down uh, prematurely uh, because I just thought, oh, there's no way I can compete with Google. And uh, sure enough, you know, a few years later, it went big. It, it ended up uh, displacing uh, a number of other uh, homepage builders. Uh, and then, you know, a few years later, they ended up just shutting it down and uh, completely discontinued the service and, and made me realize that, you know, you've got to stick with things, even in the face of, you know, massive competitors, uh, because they just don't have the same ability to focus on, on a niche, uh, you know, opportunity. And they're just not as driven and committed as uh, an entrepreneur or a community would be. And so that, you know, is part of what gives us the resolve to stand up to Google and to, you know, challenge them and to call them out on some of the things that they're doing that uh, a lot of people disagree with. Uh, but yeah, totally agree. I mean, there's, there's an interesting place for, for a homepage still, specifically if you're on a a desktop or uh, or a laptop, uh, and it's a way just to you know streamline your workflow specifically for power users and web workers uh, who are doing things uh, you know repetitively uh, rather than you know pull up EtherScan and then you know find their search field and type in there. You can basically do it right off your homepage. Click the EtherScan logo, and then you've got the results. So. Um, oh, it's it's really it's really really an impressive platform, and just as impressive actually as the technology is some of the adoption and in, in the numbers that you guys are putting up. Uh, when I was going through the white paper, I saw some you know pretty impressive usage statistics. Um, so, could you walk us through some highlights, maybe some milestones that uh, that you're really proud of you and your team for having achieved? Yeah, totally. So, so we're at uh, more than 1.6 million registered users. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, it kind of depends on on the month, uh, but you know, in in the the high single digit millions, up to 10 million uh, searches per month that that run through it. Uh, we ended up getting some like insane growth right off the 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 bat. We launched a referral program, so and and it still exists. Uh, but it really took off. I mean, it's it's been what's uh, been driving our growth uh, for the past uh, year and a half or, or two years since we launched it. Uh, you earn uh, 25 pre-search tokens when somebody joins through your referral link. And so, you know, we basically wanted to build out. We were hoping to get to like 100,000 users uh, within 12 months so that we would have enough data to test with. We had to you know, build like an anti-abuse system for all the people trying to just you know, farm tokens and stuff, and uh, we we needed some some data, and uh, we ended up releasing this thing in May of 2018, and by June we had 200,000 users, and we were like, oh my gosh, it, it just like blew up, and so we we kind of you know put the brakes on it a little bit because uh, we didn't quite have all the token economics, and you know we hadn't really closed the loop yet. We didn't have our our you know this advertising platform that we're using, we had one, but it was like super rudimentary and there were kind of some, some, uh, just, you know, it wasn't, um, the optimal thing. It wasn't related really to the keywords at all. It was basically just, there was a link below the search field on So if you set it as your homepage, 
then uh, you know we would have a sponsored link, and so that was that was what we launched with. Uh, and then we kind of realized that um, you know a lot of people actually uh, I, I use it as my homepage, and I love the the homepage view. Uh, but you know a lot of people do just want to search through the address bar, so we ended up coming out with a browser extension to make it easier, and then that made that advertising opportunity a little bit uh, less. Uh, valuable. And so we, we kind of went back to the drawing board. We came up with another uh, ad model and we tried that. And uh, it was more based on consumptive charges. So it was charging you like a quarter pre uh, per view on your ad. And we realized that a lot of people didn't want to spend their tokens uh, on advertising because they felt that they were more valuable and they wanted to hold on to them for the future. And so that was is what drove us to come up with keyword staking because you know you don't deplete your uh, your pre-search token assets, uh, but you can utilize them. You can get traffic. It's still the same thing as far as kind of closing the demand loop uh, and and creating demand for the tokens, which then creates the market so that the people who are earning them have somebody to sell them to. Uh, and it's been working really really well. We've got uh, uh, about sixty some odd million. Uh, pre-search tokens that are staked currently. There's about 3,500 keywords that are currently being staked. Is there a uh, dashboard that we could go to, to to check out those sorts of staking statistics? Uh, the, so some of the, the stats are, are more on the back end yet. We are getting ready to release a public page that will have like you know all the different uh, stats for the project in, in real time. Uh, but if you go into um, keywords.presearch.org, that is the uh, the platform where you can create these keyword ads and, and you can basically type in any different uh, keyword that you might be interested in. And uh, it will tell you what the maximum stake is uh, for that keyword currently. So you can kind of uh, see things that way. There's, there's a few members of our community that have built out like spreadsheets and stuff. And there's kind of a community intelligence uh, you know, community that's that's been growing, uh, but uh, in the future, yeah, we will have all those uh, stats available in real time. Well, I know what I'm doing all afternoon. <laughs> that's <laughs> really cool. I want to shift the narrative though um, to something slightly different. We're just coming out of the aftermath of the KuCoin hack, uh, one of the biggest hacks in crypto history. Yet, probably the only one of this magnitude that ended up not crushing the company entirely. And a big reason to that is an unprecedented response from the rest of the crypto community to pitch in and help and help KuCoin recover a lot of these funds, whether it was through Tether freezing wallets in their smart contract or tokens like PreSearch being willing to do a token swap. Can you walk us through that day when you get notified by KuCoin saying, hey, we just lost millions of pre-tokens. Can you help us out? What goes through your mind? What are the pros and cons that you're weighing of essentially putting a pause on your whole business and going through this huge inconvenience of a token swap? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, truthfully, it's been an interesting uh, couple of months. Uh, so... Uh, we've been working with KuCoin since uh, April, I guess, of, of this year. And, and truthfully, the, like, they've been pretty good to deal with. I mean, they, they kind of build themselves as the people's exchange. 
Uh, I mean, they've all got their issues. I mean, the, the whole space is kind of weird. And, you know, from a regulatory standpoint and everything, it's, it's, you know, there's so many gray areas and it's, you know, there's, there's just weirdness kind of across the board, but in general, like they've been pretty good to deal with and they seem like they actually care about the space and, uh, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, getting compromised, I believe, I mean, it's not official yet, but we believe it was like an, an internal employee or somebody who had access to the private keys, which, I mean, you can fault them for that. And, you know, they, they should be faulted for that. But by the same measure, it could happen to a lot of projects and a lot of exchanges. And so, you know, we've tried to kind of not be too hard on them. And when they, they basically, you know, messaged us through Telegram and we're like, uh, you know, hey, can, is there anything you can do to freeze the tokens? You know, we've, we've just been compromised. And like literally within, you know, minutes of that, all of a sudden, you know, Twitter is getting flooded and uh, everybody's talking about all these assets that are kind of pouring out of the KuCoin hot wallets. And so, uh, you know, prior to that, for the past month or two, we, we'd really been struggling with because we're an Ethereum based token. And there was massive traffic on the Ethereum platform because of uh, the Uniswap decentralized exchange and all these uh, decentralized finance uh, projects that had been, uh, you know, just putting incredible strain on the Ethereum network. And so we'd been kind of struggling for like a month and a half ahead of this because, uh, you know, for us to like transfer out pre-search tokens, for instance, somebody goes and they earn, you know, a thousand pre-tokens. Current market value of those is like 15 bucks. Well, there were days where it was costing like 30 bucks to do a transaction. So it was like, okay, you know, that obviously just doesn't make sense. And so, you know, we had already kind of run into some withdrawal delays and we were trying to, you know, figure out how to optimize our, our costs and, uh, and deal with that. And one of the things that we had realized with our smart contract was that we had some limitations when we built it in 2017. It wasn't going to enable us to take advantage of this batch processing method that would enable us to group all these transactions together and, and save basically like 55% of gas costs. So we were already at a point. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's what I call Um, turning a, uh, turning a bad situation to a really good one. (laughs) You're kind of using that opportunity to just revamp the entire protocol. Totally. We, we, we wanted to do a swap anyways. I mean, we were, we were like pretty close uh, as it was, uh, except we have like a, a pretty tight timeline on our development roadmap. We really, you know, we, we've been hitting all of our milestones. We were on a new CTO, uh, in July, a guy named Trey Granger. Uh, he was the SVP of engineering at Lucidworks, which is the top open source search, uh, company in the world. They power search for Reddit and all these big box, uh, stores, Walmart and Home Depot and stuff. And, uh, it's been amazing. And, and we ended up, you know, we've been, uh, hitting thanks to our, our amazing dev team as well, uh, all of our, our milestones. And we, uh, you know, put out a, an alpha uh, for our new node platform. And we've committed to the community that we were going to have it ready in Q4. And so we're like, uh, you know, let's see if we can just muddle through this. And we'll, we'll probably do a token swap at the beginning of 2021 after we get that out. And then uh, the hack happened. And uh, due to the way that our token was structured, like we really had no ability to pause anything. Uh, but fortunately, uh, we had some other issues with the smart contract uh, that actually prevented it from being listed on Uniswap 
or, or some of the decentralized exchanges. Uh, and so when the exchanges that pre is on were able to stop deposits and withdrawals, it basically stopped the hacker from having any way to, to liquidate the pre tokens. And so we, we kind of got into this, you know, spot where it was like, okay, you know, we're, we're a little bit safe for the moment. There's no immediate impact. Uh, you know, what are we going to do here? And uh, so we, we looked at it and we thought, okay, you know what, time to bite the bullet. Uh, we'll do a swap. We'll be able to, you know, correct some of the things in our, our smart contract. I mean, a lot has changed since 2017. A lot of best practices. We used uh, the, these uh, uh, kind of default contracts from a, a project called Open Zeppelin, uh, which is kind of the industry standard, which gave us a bunch of other functionality to uh, protect the project moving forward and open up a whole bunch of other different uh, opportunities, you know, with regard to staking. Uh, so it uh yeah opens up some interesting opportunities with staking and uh so so we just realized you know that uh this was an opportunity uh you know we didn't have to pay a bunch of fees that we would have had to have paid otherwise uh it, it kind of gave us you know a, a good uh reason to do it and so yeah we ended up uh implementing uh this this new contract uh, that uh, just you know g- gives us more uh, flexibility, uh, you know, to prevent things like this in the future. Uh, it's it's obviously, I mean, like like the immutability of of smart contracts and of decentralized currencies is is obviously you know one of the big uh, you know draws to cryptocurrency, uh, so that you know things can't be changed. Uh, and so uh, we've tried to basically preserve that as much as possible while still uh, enabling us, you know, let's say uh, somebody gets hacked again. And I mean, like 26 million pre were stolen. It, you know, if, if we did not revert that transaction, uh, it would have, you know, put the project as a whole in just a terrible place for like potentially, you know, months to years uh, because you'd have all this supply coming out of the market from somebody that does not care about the project and would just be dumping things. And we, we've actually had issues, you know, similar to that before at a much smaller scale. And it's like super painful uh, for, for everybody. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've now got uh, some, some different functionality uh, you know, right now, the way that the project uh, is set up, I mean, it's still, largely centralized. I mean, it's a small team that is building this out. Uh, our, our next phase, I mean, we're kind of in phase two right now. Uh, the next phase is really going to be about governance and, uh, you know, giving the community uh, the full ability to steer the project. And so, you know, we're, we're in this transition period where, you know, we've got uh, you know, uh, kind of a centralized project uh, to some degree uh, and and so we're basically kind of moving through that phase. And once we get out of that phase in phase three, uh, the, the new smart contract will enable us to implement some uh, governance protocols that will uh, basically mitigate any of the, the key, you know, um, challenges to immutability that that the contract currently has. So. Uh, before it was like basically it was a dumb contract it wasn't smart it really couldn't do anything and uh and so with the one now we have got like a global pause feature for instance so if somebody like 
hack 26 million pre-tokens again, we hit pause and then like nothing can move. And then that gives us the opportunity to basically, you know, fix things. Uh, obviously something that would, that would have to be used, you know, <laughs> very sparingly. You really yeah, the big, to. the big red nuclear button. <laughs> that, that's literally how we've, we've built it. It's, it's, you know, it's like break it's in a glass, glass case. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, well Colin, yeah. what it sounded like just, you know, you guys have you you've been around for a long time and finally there was some type of event that kind of forced you guys to upgrade but it, it you were able to take advantage of so many of the technological innovations that have come in smart contracting in the past you know 4 years right since you guys started so you yeah. know it, it's definitely a blessing in disguise yeah it, we're, we're, we really view it that way and uh, and yeah we're excited about uh, the capabilities that we have now i mean it was kind of one of the weak points of the project, truthfully, before. So uh, to be able to uh, start anew and uh, take advantage of the latest, greatest stuff uh, with the knowledge and the insight that we've developed has been just, yeah, huge. And we're in a really strong position now. So yeah. it's definitely exciting. And, and kind of in closing, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about pre-search being able to be now available on all these different DeFi platforms like Uniswap or Balancer and Curve and stuff like that. Uh, it seems like it's going to be great for the pre-search uh, kind of ecosystem, market health, liquidity, all that kind of stuff. You're going to have more adoption. And now with that upgraded kind of smart contract, you're going to be able to have really you know more funds that are going to be able to look at you guys to be able to hold you um, and stuff like that. So uh, really, really impressed with what your team is building. Colin, thank you for coming on to clarify everything about the hack and give us the 101 on pre-search. Uh, everything that we talked about today, uh, we'll have in the show notes as well. So for folks who are listening who want to find out more about how they can start using pre-search as their homepage for their search engine, for their blockchain explorers, all that kind of stuff, make sure to check out the show notes. We'll have Twitters in there as well. And uh, Colin, we hope you have a great rest of your day there over in Canada. 17,000 awesome. people. Thanks so much, guys. Great to meet you. Appreciate everything you guys are doing. Likewise. Take care. Thanks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.